Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome to the Red River edition of Talking Texas. I'm your host, Hudson Standish, joined as always during the 2022 football season by my friend and co pilot and the author of The Road to Texas, Mike Roach. Mike, book sales have been flying, they've been, I'd say, flying off the shelves, but I do realize that they are stocked primarily by Amazon and online distributors now. They're flying off someone's shelf. Whether it be at an Amazon distribution center or not, it's been a um, a good week. It was a surreal Tuesday. Was a surreal day. <coughs> Excuse me. I think it was a. Um, it felt like when they told me October fourth, I was like, "That's forever." And then all of a sudden, it's here. And so uh, the response has been really good. I'm really excited by it, and uh, I think everybody's been happy with it. So, um, and I it was even able to use a lot of book content uh, this week talking about Red River because we had some great, you know, memories of Red River from old players in there. And I thought uh, were pretty cool to get to share with our Horns 24-7 readers. Mike, I know you're being a little bit modest about the success that the book is having. Real quickly, can you kind of give the listeners the stats for how it's doing? I'd love to, um, but I won't get the stats till next week. Uh, I mean, the Amazon stuff we talked about today. I was oh, trying to set you up, but I could have... Yeah, yeah. The uh, the Amazon, I, I think we were as high as number three on the bestsellers list and number one in the football coaching category. Um, so I don't really know how those categories work because during pre-sale, it would, I would look and it would be number one in travel, number one in sports so, and all sorts of things like that. So it would constantly change. What I saw today, number three bestsellers so not just new releases number three bestsellers in all of american football so not just coaching anything related to american football i saw that you were ahead of a jimmy uh johnson memoir which i was really excited about um so if you haven't uh ordered the road to texas yet mike has been uh anybody that sends him a picture of the book on twitter or a receipt is getting a shout out and if you leave a amazon review for the road to texas on amazon um, sneak a question in there and we'll answer it on next week's edition of Talking Texas or on the uh, state of recruiting. So five-star reviews will help juice the algorithm. And, you know, we're still in the window for potential New York Times bestsellers. So a lot to talk about on today's podcast, but I wanted to make sure that we hit that off the jump. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think we'll get, I'll get a number next week on what pre-sale was, and then I'll know, I'll have a good idea of where we are in regards to the New York Times bestseller list. And if we do that, I might have the graphics people at 24-7 change like our graphic for uh, the state of recruiting to just say, and New York Times bestseller, Mike <laughs> Hell yeah. Okay. Uh, Mike, it, it's a little bit more fun to recap the game this week. West Virginia, Texas just kind of cruised. I, I mean, I feel like the box score doesn't even reflect how much of a, you know, ass kicking this actually was. We had a lot of trepidation going into that game. I think I told you, like, I'm sitting here watching West Virginia going, man, I see a lot of ways they can hurt Texas. 
And it, it just didn't happen. I think that they got back to playing kind of the way they had early in the season. Does that mean Tech was the anomaly? Hopefully so. But um, I was thoroughly impressed with just how easy it was. So Texas is the fourth best team in the nation in offensive pass success rate this year. And it was really on display against West Virginia. I know that everybody is excited and we're recording this on Thursday night after we both uh, covered games. So at this point it's out. Uh, The news is no longer a secret that um, Quinn Ewers is going to play in the Red River shootout. And you, I, fans of the team are extremely excited decided to get him back because I think we'd all agree that he elevates the offense but just a round of applause for Hudson Card I think that he really put his best foot forward as a you know backup coming into the you know to basically play four or five games and I don't know it just I hope that he gets the credit he deserves and if he does end up uh, heading into the portal I hope he finds a great spot and I'm going to be rooting for him wherever he ends up yeah I kind of talked about it week after week and um, I was, I even said, I think last week, I thought he played well enough to beat tech. He's elevated his game each week. You know, it was, he came in against Bama and nearly survived. And then, you know, was a little better against UTSA. And then he was a little better against tech. And then he was a lot better this week than any of those games. So, um, round of applause for him. And, and I think I mentioned this on Sunday in my pick six column, but I think it is a lesson and instructive for us that, we do place so many high expectations on these guys at an early age. And the fact that it didn't come together for Hudson last year was like, Oh, well he's done and writing these guys off. I do think, I mean, look, I think the the likelihood is he's headed to the portal because, you know, obviously Quinn Ewers is, is solidified a spot here, but I think that there's a very good chance Hudson card is an NFL prospect because of the traits he has. And I think he can show it if he lands the right place. So I do understand most of the criticism I've seen about his West Virginia performance was, okay, there was there were points still left on the field, which I would agree with. But after a 21 of 27 for 300 yards, three touchdowns, only taking uh, two sacks, you know, there were, there were, I'd say, two balls that probably could have been intercepted. But at the end of the day, they weren't. And I don't know. I just wanted to make sure that before we – got excited about uh, Ewers returning and shifted to that conversation. We at least just gave Hudson Card his due. Couldn't you? I mean, we get a week out, I think you could say, for any high-level quarterback, hey, there were points left on the field or he didn't make this throw or he put that throw in a dangerous spot. Like, if you're criticizing Hudson Card after last week's game, it's like, what do you really want? You know what I think it is, Mike? And I think this kind of goes to another point that we both agree on. I think in Steve Sarkeesian's system, you get so many open looks that it almost makes them look even worse when you do miss on them. Like the Xavier Worthy, um, I believe it was a sluggo that he missed, or maybe it was in and up. I can't remember exactly what the route was, but Worthy was just wide open into the end zone and he misses that throw. And it's, I think, more pronounced in fans' minds because it's, oh, Xavier Worthy's wide open running into the end zone instead of in some other systems where maybe it's not schemed up as well and there's a trail guy on him so it looks like a tougher throw. That's just a theory. But speaking of, it also kind of goes to show um, while Hudson Card has improved, I, I agree with your point that we are a little bit 
um, quick to judgment on guys, but I think it also just shows that Steve Sarkeesian, you know, this is proof of concept of him being a master quarterback developer. Well, we talked about, I think you said last week when people were, were criticizing Sark's play calling that there's one or two scores every week. That's just pure scheme, easy money, as yeah. easy as it gets. And like, I feel like we saw like three of them this week. That variation they've gotten into where they run the RPO that's yes. essentially like you can either run going outside zone or you can throw the flat to the tight end or the running back breaks off and runs a wheel. It's my favorite thing that they it's, run. Hasn't it? It's. I was thinking that too. It's like it's so money every time because it's basically impossible to defend. And it's kind of replaced the, what is it, railroad? The Bichon touchdown yeah. play is like their go-to when they need – yardage so i was thinking about this i'm so glad you brought up that concept and if you're uh not sure what we're talking about it's a lot of times out of pistol full house or any sort of multiple backs in the backfield and jatavian sanders uh unattached where they'll kind of slow play the mesh to Bijan robinson and have the guys on their normal blocking patterns either run an arrow route into the flat or a wheel route. And it's a same side concept that just always feels like it scores um, primarily with uh, either Jatavian Sanders or Keelan Robinson switching out spots on and or, Rashawn Johnson's run it as well. Yeah. I mean, one of, I think one of cards and big misses last week was he had Rashawn wide open. I think twice had Rashawn wide open on that concept down the sideline and just kind of overthrew him a little bit, just a little bit out of his reach. And I, I kind of went off on a little bit of a tangent, Mike, but I guess what I was thinking is whatever intern or whatever analyst has to chart those plays, I was thinking about if I tried to go back and chart them all. I mean, it feels like it would be at a, like, you know, something crazy like a three points per concept. Like every time they run it, it's essentially either a touchdown or a chunk play. Yeah, I think uh, Bob Sturm, who does radio here in the Dallas area, he's like a film nerd. And he was he was talking about that this week on Twitter. He had that play on video and basically was like, this is Sark scheming a big chunk play at the very least in, a, in an area where your quarterback is not asked to make a difficult throw. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I... <laughs> Uh, I am going to extend the podcast a little bit right now because the homie Winston, Mike's dog, had a squeaky toy. So Mike is uh, now off camera. But in general, I guess overall the thoughts from Sark's offensive play calling in the first half was just there wasn't much meat left on the bone. I think that especially ahead of the Red River shootout, sometimes Texas coaches will almost force their team into a letdown spot by being so vanilla with offensive and defensive play calling. And it was really refreshing to see the Texas coaching staff after dropping that game in Lubbock, just, I don't know, just respond very well and just really put it to uh, West Virginia in the first half to the point to where there kind of was no doubt in the second half that uh, the Longhorns were going to get a dub. Um, I don't know uh, as Mike is entering back, Mike, that was probably as low stress of a Texas uh, win since last year's tech game. Right. Yeah. I think that's what you and I talked about after the game. I said, when's the last time they just rolled like that? And I was like, Oh, it was tech last year. Tech, 
that game from the beginning was just like, oh, they're just going to score every time. And it almost felt like that against West Virginia. I think the first drive was kind of – I think Carr took a couple – maybe he took his two sacks on – did he take them both on that drive? It felt like it was three and out, and I was like, oh, this is not a good start. And then after that, it was just easy money kind of. And, man, I don't – the opening scripts for Sark are so good. Like, they're just so on the money every time. Can you think of a game so far this year where they've come out and the opening script just hasn't been, like, incredible? No, I, I really can't. The only thing – I guess the only – thing I can think of is Louisiana Monroe but that's not even a script thing that was just you know Quinn forcing one um and maybe this is prisoner of the moment too but even last year in the Texas Tech game there was still some frustration I had about the defense not being able to shut down Henry Columbia I don't know everything this last week felt good and you know um unless you want to hit any more on the West Virginia game uh I'm ready to move on to Oklahoma I do want to talk about the defense a little bit. They deserve some credit. Um, I thought they came back and did a lot of the things that worked against the teams they beat in the past. You know, they, the things that they didn't do against tech that frustrated us so much, they pressured receivers. They, you know, they played physically with receivers. I thought they got after the quarterback. Well, Jalen Ford can, our boy continues to just stack double digit tackle games and, and play really well. And, um, was it you saying, I think you had, was it this game? I can't remember. They all run together, but I think we talked afterwards and you were like, was that the quietest of Marvin overshone, like pretty good performance, but you didn't, you know, felt like you didn't really notice him all that much, but I mean, still had a strong game. Yeah, I think, I think so. I, I think that was one of the, uh, bits of analysis that I had also is just, I don't know. So refreshing that the defensive line, I, I it, I don't know if it's actually the case, but it, it, maybe Moro Ajomo is kind of the glue for this defensive front. Because as soon as he was back in the lineup, it just looked like that um, defensive line that we saw against Alabama. Um, I think that I mentioned to you post game, like I predicted, I think a 17 point win, and they ended up winning by 18. But at the same time, I was just expecting this West Virginia offense to get so much more. Um, it's so much more success. And I don't know, again, I really think that if Sark would have wanted to prove something, he could have hung 50 on this defense. So uh, yeah, I mean, the defense was just great. And I hope that it's not a home versus away split for the defense. I, I think that's the yeah. only thing that I'm a little bit worried about. Also shout out Baron Sorrell, one and a half sacks. I mean, he was, uh, he was everywhere. Really and he's always great in the run game. Yeah. So he's turned into a really good player, man. Like he's for a guy that I don't think made a lot of noise when he recruit when he committed. And I remember yep. people were just being like, "What? Yeah, he's been one of the better edge rushers they've had in the last couple of years." And I think it, he's the best one that plays on the roster. Like I think he is better than Kofi now. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking. I'm just thinking. He's given them something they didn't have last year, um, outside of him. But he was a freshman. He's giving him something that they hadn't had really since Joseph Asai. And he doesn't have the quite the level that Joseph Asai had. For but, sure. but he is the closest thing, I think, to Asai since he left. Um, outside of that. Jaron Thompson, I thought, was fantastic. Desha- Deshaun Jameson had another strong game, too. Deshaun Jameson 
Um, I want to say it was on Bryce Ford Wheaton, stayed in his hip pocket, um, was able to, uh, I guess, shift between keeping his eyes on his receiver and making sure he knew when the ball was coming and just made a super athletic play on a contested catch, which was one of my biggest concerns heading into the game was Caden Prather and Bryce Ford Wheaton just kind of picking on the uh, cornerbacks that weren't Ryan Watts. And I don't know, other than a touchdown that was caught on Jameer Johnson, who other than that, I thought had a pretty solid day. I mean, just really great performance. Uh, I think Jaron, I think Jaron Thompson, really deserves a ton of credit for how good he's been to start the year. He was somebody that I was a bit worried. It felt like we kept on waiting for Keaton Crawford to take his spot. And instead, Jaron, I think, has been one of the better players on the defense to start the season. Yeah, everybody's stepped up, man. It's been uh it's been good to see. I think if if they make that, like you said, the the worry is does that is that a home road thing? And and Early on, the sample size says, yes, there is a home road split. Now, I, I think that can be overcome, and obviously the sample size can be changed. But if, I mean, more importantly than what they're doing on offense, they have to have those types of defensive performances. And I know that you're going to look at it and say, well, it's just West Virginia. It's not like they're lighting the world on fire. Man, that team's got weapons. Like Absolutely. The, Prather and uh, Ford Wheaton are both among the better receivers in the conferences there's still – he didn't have a good, a good game at all. And DKR is kind of a house of horrors for JT Daniels. But <laughs> um, going back to his USC performance a couple of years ago. But he still showed at times, like, just flash, like, oh, here's a perfect on-the-money throw, uh, you know, right over coverage. So, you know, they took care of business, um, and, and that's what was good to see. And um, got it. And <laughs> here's, a, here's a transition for you. Um, Got out of there injury-free, which their uh, opponents this week cannot say. Exactly. That was almost going to be part of my uh, transition to the Oklahoma game as well. They get out of there injury-free and on the up, while Oklahoma is really faltering. Everybody had, including uh, us on the last podcast, felt like they were going to get a bounce-back performance against TCU. And Mike... Can you off off the top of your head help me with the exact opposite of a bounce back? I guess it's just continued cratering. Yeah, it would be a fall forward. Um, I guess. Good goodness gracious! Oklahoma loses. I believe the final was fifty five to twenty four against yeah. TCU, and I'm not I'm not sure that if TCU would have kept their foot on the gas, if it would have been worse. Yeah, I'm currently watching the game and. You know, a lot was made of the fact that that Dylan Gabriel was injured, but like it wasn't going well before. It was thirty-four to ten when he got injured, I believe. Yeah, it was. um, Breaking news: Um, my dog just re-entered my office with the squeak toy I just took away from him. So, (laughs) (laughs) okay. Uh, As as, oh man, round two. Man, I hope that picked up on audio because that – oh, great moment. Um, yeah, and, Mike, as we were trying to track down, it's not just that Dylan Gabriel's status is in question. It's that key contributors like Billy Bowman, Marcus Major, uh, Eric Gray, it feels like two or three offensive linemen, a couple of defensive backs, like – I mean, not even to mention that I believe that there are about three linebackers done for the year for Oklahoma. So they're, they're down to of, four scholarship linebackers. 
goodness. That are healthy. Uh, and I believe two of which were planning on being redshirted, correct? Yeah. So, you know, we mentioned Texas kind of being on the up. And I think we only say that from a thing of both these teams have dealt with some significant injuries early in the year. But Texas is at the point where they're getting guys back, especially yours. I mean, that's huge. Whereas Oklahoma is just starting to really suffer theirs right now. And it's, I guess we can talk about the nature of this game and, and the ambush it feels like going into it. But on paper, man, this sets up for Texas to have probably one of the easier Red River shootouts they've had since we've been alive. And if you're listening to this screaming, just since you you don't get video, we are both knocking on wood right now. So we're not trying to, you know, force anything, but, or I guess, you know, ruin anything. But again, on paper, Texas was, uh, at a couple of sports books, Texas was a, about a, I believe, one and a half to two and a half dog on the early open and then the money has just flooded in on the Longhorns. The official open at most sports books was four or five. And as of recording right now, the line is at nine after surging all the way to nine and a half earlier today with the Quinn Ewers uh, return, returning news. So on paper, it is Texas's biggest um, biggest spread. They're the, uh, sorry, uh, they are a nine and a half, a nine point favorite which is the largest total uh, that they've been a favorite over OU since 2005. And the first time since 2009 that they were a favorite. So, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, everything looks like it's moving Texas's way. Um, Why don't we do this? How about we, we stop for an electric ad read so that we don't mess up the flow of this Oklahoma game preview. And then when we come back, we'll, we'll hit it hard. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Hello everyone, it's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats. All right, Mike, we are back. We just got uh, energized listening to our sponsors just absolutely crush their ad reads. So that gave me second life. I was sputtering for a little bit there. Um, it's like the it's like the meme where they're giving the guy CPR and then he's like, you know, yeah, the, uh, the Duke Deuce uh, Cronkite yeah. dead meme. Uh, here's my first. I think probably we have to be a little bit careful to dance around it because we're not exactly sure his full health. But after the Tua Tungavailoa um, back-to-back concussion scare, um, 
that kind of culminated on Thursday night football and really felt like the football community in general kind of has taken that pretty hard. It's the optics would not look great if Oklahoma trotted Dylan Gabriel out there after I I should say one of the more brutal um, late hits that I've ever seen. Oh, it was like, as soon as I saw the guy launch when, when Gabriel slid, I was like, Oh my God, this is going to be, but it it was a car wreck. Like wait, it was like seeing a car wreck in front of you. And and I have to imagine that even the biggest Oklahoma haters in the world, whether you're a Texas fan, Oklahoma State fan, like even those people had to understand that this was like a a step way too far and just a pretty malicious brutal hit and I, I felt bad because the TCU uh, defender was pretty emotional after uh, he watched it back on the big board but at the same time th- those are the exact hits that you're trying to get out of um, that you're trying to get out of the game and uh, I don't know it seems like there's a chance that Dylan Gabriel might play I I still feel like <laughs> there's a better shot that he doesn't but he was in shoulder pads that and the OU uh, official account, the OU football Twitter account, accidentally um, posted it, which I'm sure Brent Venables was pretty pissed off about. But yeah, uh, somebody, somebody lost their job. I would yeah, say. probably some intern got told, "Hey, you know, stick to the communications uh, classrooms. No need to be on the practice field anymore." Yeah, but I don't know, Mike. What are your thoughts on that? Sorry for going a little bit long, but it's just wild. It's one of those things that I I think we talked about targeting last week, or we talked about it, yeah, probably last week in regard to the to Marvin Overshone one, where I said you kind of have to figure out how to factor in intent rather than just the black and white rule of targeting. And I have no problem with them calling it targeting. Um, it was absolutely by every letter of the law that way. Um, and at the same time, I think when you saw the reaction of the TCU defender, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I kind of knew what I was doing, but looking back, you're like, ooh, that was brutal. Like, I don't think he was like, I'm going to put this dude out, like out of the game. Exactly. It's you're just trying to bring it's a fast a game. It's a fast game. You're trying to bring a level of physicality. And sometimes you kind of just don't know what you're doing. I mean, for anybody who's played football kind of understands and, I, I think that it definitely made people sympathize with the TCU defender instead of, you know, saying, oh, that's a punk kid who, you know, is trying to, you know, in, trying to injure uh, our starting quarterback. But at the same time for Oklahoma, you're put in a really terrible spot already 0-2 in conference against your biggest rival in the world. I guess how I want to take this conversation, Mike, if you are a Texas coach, of the three backup quarterbacks for Oklahoma, who's the guy you don't want to see? I don't want to answer it that way. I'll tell you who I do want to see, and that's Davis Bevel. After what we I, saw last I agree. <laughs> I agree. I yeah. don't. There's a. I mean, there's unknowns with General Boot. Like, do I think General Booty, who is, I keep. I've been saying this all week, so I should probably do some research on it. General Booty's a walk-on, right? Yeah, he he technically did walk on, and it was a preferred walk on, but you know, I mean, he. But what I'm saying is, they didn't recruit him out of JUCO with a scholarship. Um, he walked on from Tyler Junior College. Now, and he was. I will say this: he was very good at uh, TJC. Um, he'd probably he'd probably be the guy that I'd least like to. Yeah, see. Yeah, I mean, 
you and I are familiar enough with Nick Evers. Like he is, he does have some intriguing tools, but getting his first college action at, at Red River um, it, with a depleted team, I think would be really tough. So I would say, weirdly enough, man, General Booty is the guy I'd least like to see. I was, I did not know who Davis Bevel was. And when Gabriel went down, I was just like, hey, okay, is this, is this going to be Evers or Booty? And then I heard them say, well, here comes Davis Bevel into the game. And I like audibly from my couch said, who? Um, and it, man, he looked like a deer in headlights. So with Nick Evers, the uh, the main thing I would be worried about, I do think that General Booty is probably a better passer at this stage of his career. Evers is probably the best runner of the bunch. And that would be the only thing that I could think of was the Texas defense wasn't necessarily prepared. But Steve Sarkeesian has maintained that they are going to prepare for Dylan Gabriel. And one of the things about Dylan Gabriel is that he's a very uh, sneaky runner. And, I mean – you know, Nebraska would say there's nothing sneaky about it after he uh, got a 61 yarder on them. So I, I would, man, like not even for the game, take everything out of it. And I'm not a doctor, but based on what we saw, it would worry me enough him back out there just playing the game, and then to go run heavy with him or have him on some designed runs, like. Yeah. It's a scary thing, man. Like it's to, again, take the rivalry and everything out of it. And we're talking about the, the brain health of a person. And I understand that like, you know, some people are saying, oh, it's, we don't even know if he has a concussion really. It's like, we saw a lot of classic signs. He had the stiffened up when he went down, like his arms went stiff. He looked like he was out for a second. Very clearly they were not comfortable enough to put him back in the game or even think about it. I mean, they took his helmet away immediately. Everything was... Yeah was there i i i know he can hurt you there i know he can hurt you throwing the ball i would just i everything aside i would hate 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 to see that kid's health and like future put on the line uh for that reason i agree with you i i hope that they don't do it but at the same time you know well so, there let, is me, a chance, so. let me take you and i this is a little behind the scenes we talked about this on the phone already so I know, I know kind of both of our thoughts on it, but let me put you in the shoes of Brent Venables. Like how do you really feel like you're in that much of a position of, I have to win this weekend to go make a short-sighted move like that. And if you are, I mean, that's, that's tough. Cause I think if you're Brent Venables, you say, Hey, um, we're, we know that the roster was depleted when Lincoln Riley left. We know it has no quarterback depth. We're working on it. We've got a really good quarterback committed. We'll, we'll address some portal stuff. We'll get some personnel back up, but I'm not going to put this kid's career. And also like if he gets hurt again, probably the rest of our season on the line for this one game. That's, that's my biggest thing is that you're risking the entire season. If you do play him and also, I, I will say the quarterback depth at Oklahoma um, was, I think, kind of mismanaged. And they're battling the injury bug, which can definitely um, cause the snowball effect. But I don't know. I, I am a pretty stunned at how bad their defense has been to start the year. I, I, I think that was one thing that looking at the personnel, I kind of um, just anticipated that to be a better unit and – I don't know, Mike. It's it's a little bit surprising. Like we knew that um, 
we knew that they would be pretty competent, uh, competent on offense, considering the offensive coordinator that they hired. But to see them be this dead bad on defense is just kind of stunning. Yeah, one more thing on quarterbacks, and then I'll, I'll address that is it's, you know, Lincoln Riley always had the I'm going to recruit a quarterback every other year type philosophy. And when you do that, and then one guy leaves, like the guy you had, who was your future superstar leaves in the portal, it leaves you in a mess that I don't think Oklahoma ever imagined they could be in. And that's where things are now. Uh, defensively, I'm as I'm watching this TCU game, it's like every deep throw is just an automatic pass interference on Oklahoma. Their yeah. front, their front seven, uh, run, was not run fitting very well. I mean, Max Duggan was looked like Michael Vick out there at times. And I don't know, man, <laughs> they, they just like, it's funny. Cause I saw a bunch of Oklahoma people on, on Twitter and on their board talking about like the three man front. And I'm like, well, TCU's getting after you with the three man front pretty well. So yeah. I don't, I don't know if it's, if that's the problem. I just think it's a, I, I think they are a little depleted there. I think that Lincoln Riley didn't recruit defense as well as he recruited offense over the years so that the personnel isn't what it could be, but they still have players, man. And to see some of the those guys just totally uh, out of sorts and, and almost looking kind of like a vintage Texas defense in ways, um, it was surprising. And I think that it, this kind of it reminds me a lot of like the Charlie Strong start to the era because like remember when Charlie came in and it was like oh we're going to be so good defensively and our culture is going to be strong and tough and all this stuff and then it was like we're just getting gashed. Um, yeah. That's kind of what it's been for them and people were there were people people paid to write about the team who we were talking about this being an elite defense like two weeks into the season and I'm like buddy you played UTEP and Kent State like yeah. Chill out. 90, 96th in defensive success rate, 96th out of the 130-ish teams, 88th against the pass, 86th against the rush. Yeah, I, dude, this is what I mean, man. Everything is lining up for Texas. The one thing I say I would say I worry about for Texas is Oklahoma is still pretty strong up front on the D-line. Uh, I think Jalen Redmond's a pretty good player. They've got some guys. Can that the the problem we've seen with Texas is getting enough interior push uh, for Bijan Robinson to find running lanes? If they could do that like consistently, I don't see how Texas doesn't score forty on this team because I just think if they can get Bijan going, then that works off the play action. Then they go RPO. They can throw screens. They can do all sorts of things uh, from that and. I, from what I saw, I mean, Kendra Miller was just going up and down the field on this team. What a, what a great football player, by the way. Kendra Miller out of Mount Enterprise, Texas, a 2A Division II program, the smallest uh, classification that plays 11-man football in Texas. Mike, the point you mentioned about just the kind of the Texas offense and how um, they kind of can attack this Oklahoma defense, I almost feel like – I almost feel like Steve Sarkeesian's kind of figured out that with this specific team, he needs to pass to open up the run. He mentioned, he briefly kind of mentioned it in a press conference and seeing the opening script and how pass heavy it was really makes me feel like he understands that even though a lot of these teams are playing nickel and dime against Texas and giving them favorable boxes to run in, he just kind of understands now that 
if you're able to spread the football around and then use tempo to run, it makes it a little bit easier on those offensive line. And then you get those true four and five man boxes. Um, I've been really encouraged. And I think that we're going to see a really competent game plan and it just kind of comes down to whether Dylan Gabriel is in there and then we have a ball game on our hands. Look last year. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't. No, 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 no. You're, you're good. Go ahead. Last year. So many times in those games where they folded, it was like big Bijan first half, and then teams would load the box, and on passing downs, they would send the house. And Texas just could not sustain a drive with that. Now it's like, okay, you can't send the house because we've shown early in the game that we can beat you deep, we can beat you on a screen, we can have a double pass from Xavier Worthy, which I don't think I had. Wish I would have had that in the specific things draft, by the way. Um by the way, if I'd have given you the prop bet on like who, what non-quarterback throws the pass. Yeah, um, I would have lost that so easy. Would you have gone Rashawn? Oh, or, when, I mean, wouldn't that have felt like the easy one? Um, by the way, that was a – I rewatched that play today. There were like three guys open on that play. Now, it's probably going to be pretty difficult for uh, Xavier Worthy to throw to the far hash from where he was. But, like, there were literally three guys running down the field wide open. <laughs> I mean, talk about schemed open. Um, it did it, make me laugh real quick. It did make me laugh that in the post game, Hudson Card, when he he just, like, was so giggly. And, you know, we we you know Hudson much better than I do, even though we share a name. Um, not exactly the giggliest guy, right? Just stoic. I would say stoic. St- Stoic is the is the but word. But when I was he describing. was asked by I believe Alex Loeb about the double pass, he was just so excited of like, oh yeah, we've been working on that for weeks, and it made me so excited how wide open it was. Like they they very clearly understood that they were going to catch uh, West Virginia with their pants down, and that's exactly what happened. Do you think when he threw the first pass in that play, like? And then looked down the field and just saw what was there. He was just like, "Oh, he, he, oh, he. yeah." <laughs> it was it was one of those uh, NBA moments where like Steph Curry makes the pass to the corner, and he before he even uh, before Clay Thompson even shoots, he already has the three above his head. And he's, he's just like backpedaling down the court. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, um, no, I, I got I did the Longhorn lunch bunch in Dallas today, um, and I, I was asked a question of you know why don't why didn't they save that play for Oklahoma? And it's like, I don't know, man. I, it's not like Sark's got a shortage of ideas and he only has three or four and he's got to, he's got to save them all. I think. And, and again, that's one of those things that you could show on film and you may get other teams to play it differently. And I, I talked to a, a buddy who was on some of the uh, 2014, 2015 teams. Like you're on such alert for trick plays and and the Cotton Bowl too. Like as soon as they saw Hudson Card get under center and Xavier Worthy slightly behind him, like you're probably getting about 40 alert calls. Like I feel like it's a lot easier to do in a normal conference game than in that type of moment. However, uh, it was a pretty good feeling when Lil Jordan Humphrey had the jump pass to Colin Johnson uh, for a gadget play at the last time Texas won this uh, rivalry. Yeah. Um, do we want to do this? I feel like we've been really down on Oklahoma and it is hate week. So, I mean, what's the point of being positive on them? But there are some guys to worry about on this team. I mean. Oh, absolutely. They, they uh, still have weapons. Do we want to talk about that a little bit? Here's how I guess we'll structure this, Mike. What is your pathway 
to the successful Oklahoma ambush, the turnaround, um, you know, in it, in 2020, Oklahoma kind of uh, was able to get their mojo back with a win over Texas. Um, what would, what are the, I guess, pathways for Oklahoma to cover the uh, over a touchdown spread and get the outright win, in your opinion? Um, I would say, first of all, they're going to, it's weird saying this about Texas because I feel like usually we're saying this about like Alabama's got to, you know, really mess this up and really do that. And the, I would say they need um, they need to score in a phase that's not offense, whether that be special teams or defense. Um, they need to be able to pressure the, the quarterback. Um, I think if they can cause some turnovers and the quarterback that plays for Oklahoma, whoever it may be, um, is really going to have to manage the game, which means that their big weapons are going to have to step up. It's going to have to be, and again, I don't know if I don't know what the status of Eric Gray is. He is a guy that got banged up, but he is a guy that, you know, I thought he had a pretty meh year last year for being such a high-profile transfer guy. He has been really good this year. He has, um, he's not quite Jameer Gibbs, but he has some Jameer Gibbs-like uh, things to his game that I think. Um, you know, could give Texas some trouble. I think they've got some size and athleticism on the outside. The guy that I think is the X factor for them that could really give Texas some problems is Braden Willis, the tight end H-back type guy for them. He, you know, he's big, he's athletic, he's a mismatch in a lot of ways. So I would say that those guys really have to step up and play special games. And they're going to, I mean, their defense is going to have to play as, as well or, or better as they played all year. Here's kind of my thoughts. I think that Texas could mess this up for themselves if on defense they're playing too soft off of a potential backup quarterback. I think that's the main thing. Um, yeah, I could see the main that. thing that I'm kind of thinking about is if you're Pete Kwiatkowski in the Texas defensive staff brain trust, if it's not Dylan Gabriel, and hell, even if it is Dylan Gabriel, I would almost – sacrifice a touchdown early for just you know six and seven man pressures just yeah. getting in their face letting them know that they're not going to be able to throw hitches or outs up and down the field on them and even if a run gets through because your run fit isn't set up with such a heavy uh blitz or if they catch you in one with a screen at least dictate to them very early that you're not going to be able to have more than two seconds to throw. And I think that that is um, one area that Keandre Coburn and Moro Jomo could really, and Tavondre Sweat too, to be honest, um, could really impact this game. We saw the stat that's been making its way around Twitter, how Keandre Coburn has basically tripled last season's uh, quarterback pressures stats for himself. It might've even been more than triple. He might've quintupled it. PFF has him as a first-round pick of the Buffalo Bills, by the way. Goodness gracious. Yeah. Um, so talk about having a good start to the season. He's been, after after mo most of fall camp, me wondering if Byron Murphy, who's also been fantastic, to be very clear. but He had a stat I saw this week. Um, I know he grades out extremely well every week. I think it was um, – I'm going to search for it while I'm talking, so I may have you talk some more. Um, Absolutely. So my main I, think point it, I, I think it had something to do with, like, basically his tackle success rate. Like, if he gets his hands on you, 
you're going down basically was the just in stat, but I'll find it here in a second. Okay. My main point was just one way that Oklahoma could win this game is by getting cheap points. If Texas is not treating them like the banged up uh, opponent that they are. Here's something, here's something else too, along those lines. And it sounds really basic, but they played not to lose against tech. If they play that style, like, it's going to it, it can hurt them, and that's when they've been hurt is when they not go into a shell, but just hey, it's very clear we've got a lead. We're happy to sit on this lead and get out of here. And I think that's like kind of what you're talking about a little bit. Um, and and I think it's not overconfidence, but it's just hey, let's you know I think they've got to go attack the way it, they did in these last couple games. I agree with you. I use MMA metaphors all the time, but it's not overconfidence. It is a keen understanding of where your opponent is going in and trying to finish the fight um, with hammer fist is not overconfidence. If your opponent is bloodied and on the ground, and that's kind of what this Oklahoma team is. Now they can also throw up a triangle and ruin the Texas season and force them to be one and two in conference play with the win. And I think that is the, that is the main thing that I want to get across to Texas fans. While this is the most vulnerable an Oklahoma team has been in the cotton bowl for a decade. I, I, that feels correct. Right, Mike? Like, Oh yeah. Um, Yes, easily. Uh, I would say the most vulnerable they were um, before that was like probably, uh, when was the year that I got, did they win that game? Now that I'm thinking about it, Paul, uh, Paul Thompson started the game. Uh, it was when Sam Bradford was hurt. I, oh. that, that's what it was. It was when Sam Bradford was hurt and then he came in and then he got hurt on the first drive against Texas. Yeah. It was probably as vulnerable as it was. Here's the stat, by the way, the only two deep interior defensive linemen that have double digit run stops with a missed tackle rate, no higher than 5% on run plays in power five this season are Byron Murphy and Chris Jenkins from Michigan. Gotcha. Well, which is, I mean, it's Murph's doing Murph things. I mean, you're, you're talking to the number one Murph fan here. So in credit to Bo Davis, he mentioned to Marcus deal who I saw tonight, he mentioned to Marcus deal and Marcus told me this before the Alabama game, Bo Davis told him, I feel like I've done a really good job coaching up this unit. And I think that you're going to see on Saturday, that they're playing elite football. And that's exactly what's happened other than, you know, a Texas tech game that, you know, if you, if you are big into the analytics, Bill Connolly from ESPN has it as the uh, most uh, statistically improbable game of the season. Texas tech's post game win expectancy was 2.2%. Nobody really cares, right? Because you still lost the game. But if that is kind of your mindset as a football fan, um, you know, trusting the analytics, then there's a lot to like with this Texas team. And I think that's why his metric SP plus has Texas as the fifth best team in the nation. Right. So, yeah, there are no take backs, obviously, in the game of football. You, the results are the results. But I think if PK could go back and just be like, hey, we played an attacking style of defense in every win plus Alabama this year, and it served us well. I Let me not sit in this soft shell and let me attack this team. That he would absolutely do it, and Texas would absolutely win that game. Agreed. Uh, um, 
Okay, we're coming up on our second break time, so let's do that. But when we come back, I kind of want to discuss the psyche of this Oklahoma team, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. I'm honestly, I, I like to extend the shows just so I can hear two ad breaks from our friends. All right, and we are back on Talking Texas. Mike, you wanted to dive into the psyche of this Oklahoma team, and I think that that is a really good um, – we've kind of hinted around it a couple times. That's a really good uh, thing to talk about considering that Texas multiple times over the past 10 years has been the wounded uh, animal crawling into this fight and was able to get wins over Oklahoma. So being on the other side of that coin is a little bit weird for, I'm sure, you know – fans and media alike i hope not the players i hope the players are just focused on getting a dub i have not talked to one person fan fan wise um that feels comfortable being in this position for texas and i'm sure there was a day and time where um you know the texas was often in this position but it hasn't been in a long time and now they're in this position where they're kind of being talked about like this but Wounded animals are dangerous, I think, when you, you know, we talk about that principle of them being backed into a corner and are they going to fight their way out and scratch a claw. But I thought it was something that, um, who was the player? Was it, was it Braden Willis on his podcast? It was, sorry, I was on mute. It was Braden Willis. That was a wild quote. Yeah. Let me pull it up while you're talking to get it exactly right. I mean, basically, the it's something you would traditionally hear about Texas, but it's it was basically, hey, there's a lot of entitlement. There's a lot of guys, I, I think, not pulling their weight, not doing the things that we need to do, and uh, they're all younger guys, from what I understand. It was the was the gist of the quote. And when you talk about that, you look at kind of some reports from our OU site. Um, you know, a lot of it centered around, hey, this defense is bruised right now, especially especially on the defensive side. They're bruised mentally, and they're in a place where if they get leaned on a little bit, they could crumble. I, I'm absolutely with you. I'm very curious to see if it's almost like a – one of the big cliches in football that Tom Herman loved is the one and know uh, mindset of erasing whatever happened the past week and just dialing in on going one and know this week. I feel like that is a little bit easier with rivalry games. And I think that is something in the Oklahoma psyche that's going to be very intriguing to see. But as you're kind of talking about, maybe this is a more systemic issue that can't be solved easy easily just with the window dressing of a texas game yeah i mean it's that's i think the most and it goes back to kind of your point about sending pressures early and uh getting after it is if you can lean on them and really you know make get them down early maybe they do fold maybe that is an issue um I think one more intriguing thing, too, you kind of mentioned uh, that we should talk about guys that could hurt Texas. We've gone pretty in-depth on the fact that we both feel like if Dylan Gabriel doesn't start, if the Texas team comes out with a mentality uh, that, you know, they did for the Alabama-West Virginia games, that's going to be a win. Some of the Oklahoma players that I think are really interesting are in that wide receiver core, and I think that's one of their avenues to a win if – their 
talented wide receiver group can uh, win their one-on-one matchups against Texas DBs. Marvin Mims victimized Texas last year. He hasn't, um, he's had a good start to the season, but nothing, um, nothing too crazy. But somebody, Mike, that we both uh, really like a lot is Jaleel Farouk, the Oklahoma uh, wide receiver who I believe uh, went to high school with Caleb Williams, right? I don't think went to high school, but from the same area. From, was, from was the DMV. Gotcha. Yeah. I knew that they were uh, buddies, but he has really impressed me a lot. I think that he's one of their better players. And just, you know, talking over other weapons that they have, I think those are two um, that would give me concern and that if I was Texas, those would be some of the key matchups that I'm trying to scheme against or around. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, they proved that they could handle guys like that last week. Um, because mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think that the guys for West Virginia are every bit as good as basically any team they'll see this year. But I mean, it's what are you going to get week to week from this defense? And um, I, those are the the biggest questions. Also, I mean, it's it sounds very basic football guy to say that often the winner of this game is who wins the battle up front, um, but. Oklahoma's offensive line hasn't been great. They've been beat up a little bit. And I think that uh, TCU got a lot of pressure on them. And I don't, I think TCU has a good defense. I don't think it's a great defense. I don't think they have a incredible pass rusher on their team. Um, I I do think that this is a a team that's ripe for, for uh, pressure up front. And I think that if you can kind of, again, come out and punch that offensive line in the mouth and, uh, you know, set a tone early, lead, just lean on them and, and, and see how they respond. I'm just – I'm really fascinated by the psyche part because it's it's one of those things that goes very much either way of like, okay, this is a dangerous team because they're wounded or this is a dead, dying team because they're wounded. Two defensive players I wanted to give shout-outs for Oklahoma as we're talking about, you know, kind of dangerous impact players – he did not get a lot of action last week, which stunned me. But Jaron Kanick, the freshman out of uh, Kansas, absolute freak show in high school that we used to talk about. I mean, I want to say that he might have had like 10-4, 100-meter uh, speed. Just an absolute uh, freak that considering Oklahoma's linebacker depth, I know that Brent Venables has made some comments of he doesn't know what he's doing out there in a playful tone of like, oh, he's just a kid. He doesn't know what he's doing out there. So when he's in the game, we've got to make sure that, you know, it's a pretty simple assignment. I don't know, man, figure it out and get that guy on the field. He was extremely impressive to me. And then uh, David Awegbu from, I believe, KD7 Lakes. I I think that he is probably um, the guy to really key in on um, this yeah, he's a baller. I remember that kid in high school, and it was like he was kind of playing out of position then, but you could just tell a big, long athlete. Going back to Canick, I mean, that's a guy that I know a lot of the Oklahoma fans are screaming for. And at some point, man, when your defense is playing the way it is, like put the kid in the fire and let him run to the ball. I mean, like just let him let him be an athlete. You know, there were there were plays where guys were in the right position for Oklahoma. Uh, against TCU and they just didn't make the play. So, I mean, what is it worth if the guy knows the assignment and is in the right position but can't make the play? I checked it on uh, Kanek, uh because I was thinking to myself, okay, he's a 220-pound linebacker. I don't want to just be talking out of my rear end uh, with a 10-4. Verified 10-3-7. Yeah, I was about to say you undersold him, didn't you? 
Yeah. Um, so, okay. Again, that's just one of those things to where I've hated it when Texas coaches have done it. And in general, even though it's Oklahoma, it's just, just because a guy is a true freshman or he might not um, be as, you know, football intelligent or ready to roll, like find ways to get him on the field if your defense is struggling that much. Um, yeah. I mean, those are guys, and, and Ogwe, uh, I, I'm say his name right. Oguebu is a guy that can give you give. He's kind of their version of Demarvian Overshone, I would say. Like, can kind of give you some pressure off the edge. Can play like more uh, in space if he needs to. He can kind of do it all. So he is a guy they're going to have to account for. I was going to say this, kind of going back to the West Virginia game. Um, and, you know, we'll see kind of how he reacts in his first Red River game. You know, a staple of the show has been, hey, man, Kelvin Banks just checking boxes every week. And uh, I think he gave up. I can't I, I got to go back. And watch he had his first he had his first mistake on the season. Yeah. And it was like on the first drive of the game. And, yeah. I, and I almost texted you like, oh, is this the game where like Kelvin like. He, he has his freshman moments, and then, like, I just didn't notice him again for the rest of the game. <laughs> yeah, I started laughing because I think third quarter I realized, like, oh, Kelvin had a moment and then just acted like a, you know, senior left tackle and was like, all right, back to playing elite football. Yeah, it was uh, – back, back, uh, back to making Dante Stills just not a factor. I didn't notice Dante Stills, and I think I told you I was petrified of him going into that game. The, the West Virginia all-time leading sack record who's victimized Texas was just, you know, kind of rendered useless. It was like um, – who was the guy for Alabama that you were so sure was going to uh, – it was uh, Burton. It was like when you were like, Jermaine Burton is going to kill this team. And then, yeah, and it was just, just like, oh. Nothing. That was <laughs> just nothing. nothing. Same for me. Um all right. I mean, anything else or any other aspects of this game you want to cover? I feel like there was something I did want to cover, but at this point, I think that we've okay. Mike, what, what was your official prediction? I gave mine as I think uh, forty-one twenty-four Texas, under the assumption that it's not Dylan Gabriel out there. Same, um, and I went similar to you. I went thirty-eight to twenty. Um, I, I hated making that prediction. I feel like every time I'm confident on this team, they burn me. Um, and this game, again, it, it just feels like such an ambush. But everything looks on paper like an easy kind of two-score, two or three-score game. Um, so I just kind of went with with the gut on it and, and went 38 to 20. It, okay. I, I have a, I guess, out of the blue idea. Give me your pick for not the, I guess, the obvious candidate. Or well, let's do it two ways. Who is your uh, offensive and defensive game MVPs just overall? And then who is one surprise for you in the Red River shootout on either side of the ball? I can start if you'd like. I'll go with, um, I think the easy answer is Quinn, obviously. And it's not like Bijan Robinson's a very difficult answer, but I actually think that like for them to get to where they want, this has got to be a big Bijan game. Like he's got to just be a factor enough to, you know, bring some guys in and let and let the passing game beat them over the top. So I'll say Bijan for offensive MVP. I'll ride the hot hand 
um, and go with uh, Jalen Ford to just continue his stellar play on the defensive side of the ball. The guy who will surprise. Can I give mine real quick too, uh, just for the easy MVPs, and then we'll go to your surprise? Sure. Mine is Quinn. If it's not Quinn, I kind of think it might be Jatavian Sanders. Yeah. Considering how, how we know uh, throughout fall camp and just the when Quinn plays, he's going to try to get Jatavian the ball. It felt like Hudson, it took Hudson Card a little bit of time to kind of zero in on Jatavian as the chain mover. I just feel like this sets up with all of the Oklahoma overhang linebackers, defensive backs um, as – you know, potentially either being out or hung up. I think that this is somewhere Jatavian could succeed. Can we just talk about how cool it is to have an athletic tight end again? <laughs> like it's, it's incredible. It's I, been so long. It's like I'm it's like we're talking to past versions of ourselves that got to watch Jermichael Finley in action in Austin. I'm just like, hey, and you it, forgot about me. Isn't this great? I think it is a legit selling point to Hey, Deuce Robinson, like we can get the tight end of the ball. Um, And you can like, you're this, but somehow even more athletic um, and bigger. Now I, I I do need to make a personal apology, I guess, to Jatavian. Are you talking, are you going to talk about the edge versus tight end dynamic? Yeah, because I was an edge all the way. I thought that he was a guy that got by a lot on athleticism and not a lot on like actual skill as a pass catcher in high school. And I was like, I just don't know how quick he can make the adjustment. And buddy, he's made it. He's also blocking his ass off. Oh my. That was when I talked with the uh, Denton Ryan head coach, Dave Hennigan, that was the number one thing he was proud of was the fact that, you know, they really challenged Jatavian of, Hey, to get on the field, you're going to have to block. And, you know, a lot of people thought that they were just going to give him almost a courtesy year, trying out tight end before they moved him to either buck or Jack. And instead he's just become one of the best weapons on the team. And I think that's a big reason why a lot of fans have confidence in this Texas team is because while the wide receiver debt has taken a hit, no doubt due to Isaiah Nayor's injury in preseason, having a one, two, three of Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington and Jatavian Sanders is better than just about any, um, any group of pass catchers since, the Colin Johnson, Devin Duvernay, little Jordan Humphrey unit that led Texas to their best year um, since the, you know, uh, Colt McCoy injury. So, yeah, I'm absolutely with you. I was team edge all the way for Jatavian. And you know what? Honestly, just credit to him for kind of sticking with what he wanted and putting in the work to be a plus-plus addition. Yeah, um, I'm sorry. So I interrupted you. I just – I don't think we had no talked worries. yet about how cool it was to have a like a and how much it opens up this offense and like how much different they can do with it now. You, you can't you can't play Texas too heavy in the run game because they have freaking 40 backs backside screens attached with Jatavian Sanders. How many times have we seen screens to him this year? Has to be at least half a dozen. And he's got at least another year left, probably two. Um, I mean, I don't see him going pro after next year, but I mean, I guess never say never. Right. Um, but like, yeah, you've got a couple of years of this and then hopefully you can add guys like Deuce Robinson and players of that nature who can just kind of keep going. He was fantastic in spring, did not have the best fall, but 
Mike, what, we're one game away from Jaleel Billingsley returning as well? Yeah, uh, and I'll be interested to see kind of how that plays into things as well. But, I mean, like... With, with how much they use 12 personnel, I have to imagine that he's going to get on the field quite a bit. Yeah, um, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead with your... Oh, good. Defensive, yeah. I was leaning either Jalen Ford or DeMarvian Overshone. It kind of feels like, since DeMarvian is a senior, maybe we get this iconic um last ride for him at the cotton bowl and then i'll let you do your surprise picks so surprise is tough because like part of me kind of says like this could be could this be like the keelan robinson breakout game but would that be a surprise so i don't know yeah is this the game where keelan robinson gets more than five touches i think keelan would be an extremely valid pick i think even jordan whittington just somebody who isn't surprise somebody who isn't a like top three guy like somebody who's not john xavier worthy or quinn whittington or 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 um or uh i just went blankly i just mentioned um Mm -hmm. keelan robinson would would be my picks i will say maybe it's i just want to speak it into existence but like can we get a jai hall on the field a little bit can we uh can we get some of that going you're in okay okay, go ahead no 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 i set you up (laughs) I I literally only did this, you know, faux segment so I could say a Jai Hall may be a surprise dynamic. Like this would be the moment for him to just kind of silence a lot of the haters and in a spot to where they're going to do everything they can to bracket Xavier Worthy. They're going to key in on Jordan Whittington and Jatavian Sanders on third downs. Man, wouldn't it be something if the if the former high four-star top 100 player that Texas has on their roster that has the physical build and uh, measurables is like a Julio Jones level talent just breaks out and really puts his name on the national stage. That, that was my pick. Yeah, man. I, I'd love to see it. I I just want to see a Jai get some more. It's tough right now. I mean, I get it. Like you've got Xavier worthy doing what he did. You've got, Jordan Whittington has been stellar, I think, this year in the role they've asked him to be in. Um, you know, it's tough to find time to get another guy worked in. But, by the way, I, we didn't really mention it in the West Virginia segment, but, like, we've been waiting for the Xavier Worthy breakout game, and that was Xavier oh. Worthy from last year. Yeah. He, he gave everything. He gave really good uh, yards after catch in the screen game and in just in the normal route tree, he was burning guys. He was making contested catches on the Hudson card jump throw. He makes a really good adjustment to the ball and fights back a defender over it. The concentration on the, just everything that we wanted to see from him. Super high effort. So uh, love that. Um, Also, I cannot remember the third um, catch for Jordan Whittington, but his two of his catches in the West Virginia game are a bubble screen that he just hits the gas Mm -hmm. and looks extremely explosive on. And the really tough sideline catch. Do you remember what I'm talking about where Hudson card steps in the pocket improvises and really just drops a bucket in for Jordan Whittington, who makes a pretty difficult catch where he has to turn his head completely to fault to follow the track, uh, as he's tracking the ball just makes it look effortless. So yeah, I think that, I think that if it, if it is a true progression passing attack for Texas and not a lot of just designed solo or, you know, one, two combinations, if 
Texas is, you know, able to go four deep in the pass progressions. I do think that because I assume Brenton Venables is going to be keyed in on a lot of um a lot of the guys that we've mentioned. Ajaya Hall could have an opportunity to have a breakout game. And something that we probably should have mentioned in the preview is just the very high blitz rate of Brenton Venables and if he's going to continue that with a walking uh, wounded unit because it sure does lead to a lot of chunk plays. I'm trying to remember, was Sark at Bama when they played Clemson? Uh, I believe for one of the years. So he's seen a Venables defense before. I believe so. I'm going to check right now. He's probably got a notebook, I would say, that that has some ideas of how to attack it. And if not actually playing them, you know that Alabama, with how well-researched they are under Nick Saban and the – 40 analysts that they have in the uh, staff, you know, they have a file on them that he has. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's interesting to me before we, uh, I guess before we move on or or wrap up or whatever. um, Defensive surprises for both of us. We still need to do. Oh yeah. Defensive surprise. Um, I will take. Okay. This is what he was almost my MVP pick for defense. Um, I think it's a big Anthony Cook game. Oh, okay. I like that pick. I mean, he was, he really should. If if this is my reasoning, I think if Oklahoma, regardless of who they have, they're screen heavy anyways. But if they have a, um, a backup in, they're going to be really screen heavy because they don't probably want to take a lot of deep drops and try to push the ball down the field vertically. He's so good at playing those on the perimeter, fighting through contact, and then blowing those screens up. I, I think it could be a really good day for him. And he's also really good in run support. Um, so that would be my defensive guy. What do you think about – I'm is Baron Sorrell a surprise? I, mean, I, have a, I think it would depend on what, what do you rank. Like you said, top three on offense. Who would you rank as your top three on defense? Mine would probably be Keandre Coburn, Jalen Ford, DeMarvian Overshone, and Jaron Thompson and Moro Ajomo kind of being on the does that does that sound right to you? Yeah, I mean I do think Sorrell has been a difference maker on this defense when he's been in and a guy that like if he got in uh, I don't know if this is the best way to codify it, but if if you're without Baron Sorrell, it hurts. Um so I think like those other guys would be in the same territory, but yeah, I'll, I think I could take that. Um, what do you see? Are you seeing like a, another, you know, multi-sack game? Um, also real quick. So Steve Sarkeesian was not the offensive coordinator, but was on staff in the Trevor Lawrence breakout game. As an analyst. Yes. Right. Okay. And when he was the offensive coordinator, they had Notre Dame and Ohio state in the playoff. And then the year before that, they beat Michigan in the bowl game. Okay. So um, certainly has been around for a Venables defense. So the, the reason I'm rolling with Baron Sorrell is because I do think that you are going to see a, who, whoever plays at quarterback, we're going to see a run heavy attack from Oklahoma, especially at the beginning of the game. And I think that he sets the edge better than just about any player on the roster. I think that in addition to PK adjusting his scheme, which has led to just such better run fits compared to 
last year. I mean, last year they were getting gashed against everybody, and this year they are a top 10 unit in the country in defensive rush success rate. Like, the turnaround's been pretty – and I think that Baron Sorrell is a big reason why, and I do think that he has the best um, pass rushing chops on the team. If you didn't give me him, I'd probably give you uh, either uh, Tavondre Sweat or Byron Murphy because I think that they're going to be also just, you know – massive interior presences that uh help texas d- defend the run knowing murph too he seems like a guy who's like oh yeah back in dallas baby i'm about to put on a show so yeah. uh he's that type of player who um believes he feeds off wherever he is and uh i can see that yeah i you know i'm always a fan of murph praise um what i wanted to ask was when's the last time you've been to a red river game was it when you were a student it was, you know what, this may be, maybe if, if you're a booster listening to this and, you know, one, appreciate you. Two, the last time I was at Red River was the win. 2018. Yep. Boy, that must have been fun. It was, you know how I watch games. I'm a big time uh, anxious boy, hence the Anxiety Pals group text name. It was great until Kyler started cooking. I know. I uh, I was watching with my brother, and he doesn't. I mean, he doesn't look at Kyler the way I do because I covered Kyler in high school, and he was just like, "Well, they can't come back from this." And I was like, "Dude, I've yeah, seen him do it to Desoto too many times." Yep. <laughs> and so you know, then the way it ended, it was such a sigh of relief. But you know, that game felt good. I think every Texas fan would agree that if they were able to just handle business and get a multiple possession win, it would probably feel even better. So uh, my question was going to be like, when you were going to it, what was your, we talked a little bit about this with Guy Frazier on state of recruiting, but like, what was your, uh, what's your go-tos at the fair? Are you a corn dog guy? Are you a, uh, did you like, when you would go to the game, were you a, Hey, let's go hit the fair afterward and, and things like that. Before the game, I've, and it, you know, when you bring <laughs> dates to OU, the, you know, there is an obligation to kind of do more of the, oh, hey, let's go see uh, Big Techs. Let's go do this. Before the game, I just want to get in my seats. I want to be watching warm-ups at yeah. 9 o'clock with binoculars. I want, to, I want to, you know, be trying to see if who is suited up for Oklahoma, who's suited up for Texas. So my pregame is just not really conducive to a lot of the college uh, spirit of the of the trip because I'm just trying to get my butt in the seat as quickly as possible. Afterwards, whatever the group is doing, I'm not too picky, I think is the best way to put it. Um, you know, the corn dog. So, I'm a big yes. fan of the corn dog. The Fletcher's original corn dog is incredible and was invented at the State Fair of Texas. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Um, uh, Breaking news. Did you know that Bijan Robinson's mustard, Bijan Mustardson, is going to be available at certain booths this year uh, at the Fletcher's corny dog stands? That's great because I love mustard on a corn dog. It's 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 uh it's fantastic. So uh I'll have to I gotta get out to the fair, man. I haven't been in years and I like to just go like I literally almost will buy a ticket just to go and have a corn dog look at the car show and leave. I'm such an old man in that way. Um, 
but yeah, no, I just, I like talking to people, people who didn't grow up in this area, like the fairs kind of, to me, it's like, oh God, the fairs in town, um, because it's always a thing, but like the people who came, you know, I mean, not to say you guys did this from Liberty, but like, there are people from small towns like that who oh, come, sure. come to Dallas just to go to the fair. Absolutely. We it's, had it's, we it's, had fair day in high school where or yeah. in, in school where we just got off on, it was like Columbus Day or whatever. Um, you got off on that day and and you got like free fair tickets. So like it, it's become old hat to me, but like I'm always interested in like what is uh what other people's uh, experiences at the fair are. Absolutely. Uh, have my, you ever have you ever ridden the Texas Star Ferris wheel? I believe so. I believe I was goaded onto it, but um, not sure. <laughs> I don't have a ton of memories of it, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, it's always a good time. And like the cool thing for me is my um, grandfather was a master gardener, um, which is a very hard degree to learn uh, earn in the gardening community. And um, if you know the area I'm talking about, it's kind of right over by, um, do you know like the main like through fair of the fair that has like all yeah. the art, art deco buildings. Yeah. Yep. He designed and planted all the plants around there. So oh, every, man. and they're still there. So every time I go through there, I, I just, um, I, I, you know, it's a little pride for me. So I, you know, I, I should probably visit the fair more often, but yeah, I'm always interested in, in what the, what the vibes are at the fair. And I think it's better obviously for Texas fans on a wind day. I mean, you don't want to be the, the sad guy on the Ferris wheel eating a corn dog when your team gets beat by 50. <laughs> uh, Mike, I know that we are running long on this episode of talking Texas. I feel like we do every single week. Yes. It's because we love our sponsors and we just want to get them as many ad uh, reads as possible, but I nearly forgot it. We need to go through the uh, big 12 real quick and do our, again. Oh, that's right. Picks. And, and that, tracking A&M. That's my, my series. <laughs> Mike's segment tracking AM was a delight last week. It was awesome pregame because we nailed uh, the picks and then Mississippi State made us look smart. I'm telling uh, you, I like I, I told you last week, like I, I told you two weeks ago, like I think I would bet AM better than anybody. For some reason I can read them and I can't read anybody else, but like I think I've nailed two weeks in a row on AM picks. Three weeks week, in a row if you count Miami. Last week there were five big 12 games. Um, I went four and one against the spread. I made three wagers and went two and one in those wagers. Mike, you went three and two against the spread. Oh, you, you tracked these. Yes. Who Unfortunately, did we, who did I lose? I, you lost the oh. Texas tech game, which oh. uh, Kansas state won by nine. The spread was seven and a half. Um, and, and then Oklahoma. we both were on Oklahoma and I, it's at this point of the podcast that I need to make a formal apology to the Texas Christian university horn frog who are a much better football team than I anticipated. And what I think I figured out, Mike, and it sucks because I think we both liked Chandler Morris out of high school. They're a much better team with Max Duggan. Like the, the team that struggled against Colorado, as I rewatched, it seems like they probably should have rolled with Duggan from the start and they yeah. opened up a can of whoop bass on Oklahoma. 
in a spot to where I thought Oklahoma was going to bounce back. And who cares about getting the bet wrong, right? Like, it's it's pretty enjoyable to watch Kendra Miller and Quentin Johnston and Savion Williams, somebody out of Marshall, Texas, that we just both loved out of high school. Um, TCU's a problem. And I think I mentioned Savion Williams on our preseason show is like, I, hey, did. there's some talk about this guy in Fort Worth right now. You did, and um, – I, I love Savion Williams. I didn't think the weapons they had were going to be able to uh, mask a couple of, you know, even guys that I really like, like D Winters on the defense side of the ball. It's just, you know, we don't have a full picture yet on TCU, but they're definitely better than I was anticipating. Um, we both nailed the Texas game, having them cover Oklahoma State like, winning on the road against Baylor. I felt really good about that one when we mm-hmm. were doing the same. And then we both nail Kansas, and I was able to cash the Kansas plus 130 money line, which is a great transition into the other Big 12 games this week. Kansas is a seven-point dog at home. They're hosting game day against TCU. It is a top 20 matchup. What a world. Uh, Game day in Lawrence, Kansas. Boy, if I would have put that on the specific things draft, you would have laughed me out of the I would have given you two points. Yeah. Um, uh, are we picking? Is that what we're doing now? Yeah, and just if you had any thoughts, I know that you were much higher on, on TCU than I was in the preseason. I don't think, even though I want to say we mentioned that in the preseason show that like, oh, Jalen Daniels kind of cooked Texas. None of us thought that he was going to be a 11 touchdown to one interception QB that's, uh, you know, operating at almost 70% passing. <laughs> He's been really good, man. And I do think somebody asked me today at that lunch thing I was at, like, hey, is Kansas for real? And I'm like, well, I mean, it depends on your your opinion of for real. Do I think Kansas is going to play for a Big 12 championship? No. I think that they've been in the soft part of their schedule. Um, are they for real enough to make a bowl? Hell are, yes. Yes. And are they for real by, like, Kansas standards? Yes. And they're not winning games by, like, hook and crook. They're They're winning games by playing good football. That said, I do think TCU just has more athletes. Um, what is the spread on that? So it is seven at some spots. It's six and a half. TCU which, favored? Yes. Yeah, I'll take TCU by touchdown. I'm going to do the same as well. I am 5-0 and betting on Kansas this year, including various props, their team total overs. They've been a wagon for me. And I hate to do it, but I just feel like the spot favors TCU. Yeah, and I think I think this objective. is kind of it, it, I'll tell you this. If they do beat TCU, I'll change my mind on are they for real? Um if they do beat TCU, do we have to recant that they're not a Big 12 contender? That's what I yeah, that's what I mean. Like oh, uh, I, if I, they I, beat TCU, so I I might change my mind on if they are for real for real. Boy, that would be a world. Um, I don't think I have any keys to the game or anything like that. It's just, I guess, as simple as how do both defenses play against likely the best dual threat they've seen. I know that we you mentioned the white Michael Vick thing for Max Duggan, um, but it is pretty impressive how you know quick he is and i think that's something that when texas eventually plays tcu they've got to be prepared for dude he can roll and he's i mean it's not like texas hasn't seen that from him but do you or do you know what i'm talking about and i think 
the statues like are behind the bookstore or something now in Austin, but like the Colt McCoy statue that they made yeah. where he's like running and he looks like terrified <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. There was a point in Max Duggan's long touchdown run against TCU where he, or against Oklahoma, where he very much looked like that statue and it got a giggle out of me. Um, is it possible Max Duggan was always really good and he was just playing in a bad system and now an offensive mind like Sonny Dykes has unlocked him? I think so. But at the same time, what is the deal with Max Duggan to where he cannot confidently win jobs? Like, if you're this good, Max, why aren't you running away with the job in the spring and forcing, you know, Sonny to make a move that Dave Aranda did with Blake Shapin, who, uh, spoiler alert, we'll get to later, not that great. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I've got nothing additional on it. I, I just think TCU's got more athletes. Um, Texas Tech on the road at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State is a nine and a half point favorite. I would be on the pokies here, um, but in real life, probably would not make a play because I think Texas Tech is never going to give up out of a game, and they almost backdoor covered against Kansas State last week. Yeah, I would um, be interested in seeing something that I'm going to look up right now. Uh, what does the spot look like for Oklahoma State? Um, Just getting off of an emotional uh, Baylor win, coming back home against Texas Tech. So potential for a letdown. But who's ahead? Um, it would be TCU, a trip to TCU, possibly. So a, a letdown and a look ahead? Yeah, so – Oh boy, I was kind of all ready to go in on Oklahoma State because I do believe right now Oklahoma State is the best team, most complete team in the Big 12. Jeff, buddy. This is in Stillwater. Yep. And it's a 230, 230 kick. And you said it's a nine point spread? Nine and a half. I would take Oklahoma State to win, but give me tech to cover. I like the pick. And then last, when I do my uh, show with our boy Colin Kennedy at uh, 24-7 and Cooper Patang, uh, the Saturday morning um, betting space that we host on Twitter, I'm probably going to make Kansas State minus one and a half my go best up, bet. Go ahead and plug that. What's the name of it? I believe it is lines of scrimmage which colin came up with which is a banger to be completely yeah. honest yeah so uh what time does that usually start saturday 8 30 which cooper has petitioned colin for a later start yeah that's i would too um <laughs> kansas I, state minus one and a half on the road in ames i i am not impressed with this iowa state team after watching a lot mm, of them no i i yeah give me kansas state outright in that one um, I've not seen a minute of Iowa State, but just kind of scoreboard watching, box score watching, highlight watching. Did wasn't high on them coming in, and uh, they haven't done anything to prove me wrong. Mike, we mentioned in our preview that they could be the second worst team in the Big Twelve, and we were operating under the assumption that Kansas would kind of continue their uh, trajectory, but. I think Iowa State definitely has a shot to be the worst team in the Big 12 this year. Did I hear – this may be one of those things. Somebody told me this, and I can't ever know if this is like a – New segment, oh, fact-checking. This is real or like some crazy guys just being like, yeah, I heard this because I saw it on Facebook. Um, 
there's no like the, when he told me i was like oh that's weird and then now that i'm thinking about it more and more there's like no way it would have happened without me hearing about it but somebody was like hey did you hear matt campbell interviewed with wisconsin this week let me do a quick google i mean unless that person has a source i do feel like i would have seen it too but yeah the more i think about it i'm like the more that probably didn't happen. i don't know we're not super plugged into the wisconsin uh, yeah but i mean if look if a sitting head coach is taking interviews that's going to be national news yeah i don't okay so here's something wisconsin has been in contact with iowa state's matt campbell okay um my main point being Matt Campbell needs to line up his next job. Uh, like right now he is to his credit. He has maxed out Iowa state. He has taken Iowa state as far as I think they can go. And he needs to be able to turn that into his next bag at his next job, whether that be Nebraska or Wisconsin or whatever. If, if he believes that he wants to st- like, if he wants to stay at Iowa state forever, they're going to give him enough time to hit the you know highs that um, that he's experienced in Ames, and I do think it's worth mentioning of just like how putrid of a program historically that is, and the levels that while he never really got over the hump, according to the like I guess with the national angle in the media, like he never really he he really was a couple plays away from winning a Big Twelve title, which is insane to think about, but never really getting over that hump and then this regression if he does want to stay at Iowa State they're going to give him time but they're starting to become more and more call for Tom Manning to get fired at offensive coordinator who is a Matt Campbell guy through and through so he might even be falling a little bit victim to his own expectations even if in Ames if he doesn't decide to take another job Maybe this is too much of a rea- uh, reactionary thought on my end. I don't feel like Wisconsin or Nebraska would take him right now because of kind of what we're seeing, even though I do believe that he's a very good program builder. And um, I think that when they eventually transition from J- uh, to, to J.J. Cole, a um, depending on the service from top 100 to high three-star uh, quarterback from Hunter Deckers, I think that he'll get back to having some success. But yeah, Mike, I, I'm going to roll through the schedule real quick just because that's what I was going to kind of do. You have an FCS victory in the seven over Iowa, which at the time felt like a big deal because Matt Campbell had never beaten Iowa before. And so that seemed to be another hurdle that he was getting over. Well, Iowa just stinks, right? Yeah. <laughs> They're just extremely bad. And they people talked Ohio. about their, their defense being like some elite defense. And it's like, yeah, they've played nobody either. Exactly. They beat uh, Ohio, who has kind of been like Ohio struggled to beat Fordham. So not exactly the G5 win it used to be. Then Baylor beats them 31 to 24. That's a semi-competitive game. But on the road against Kansas, even though I had the Kansas money line, it was still stunning to watch what unfolded. Yeah. 15 to 11 loss. Yeah. I think, um, no, I think I, if he can get a job or a deal agreed to right now with one of those schools, like you know, he needs to do it. So Kansas State being a one and a half point yeah. favorite on the road. Obviously, it's a rat line, but it's a win win for us because. If Kansas State covers, it's, hey, that was an easy play for both of us. But then if they lose, Mike, 
we can just double down on the preseason hate that we had against them and everything else. Yeah. Um, wait, was I wrong? Did, who did I say? Did I said Oklahoma was going on the road to TCU the following week? No, uh, that was when you were talking about the spot for Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State. Yeah, okay, okay. I'm right. Yeah, TCU on the 15th. I looked at um, – at Iowa's or Kansas State schedule, and they are going on the road next against uh, TCU they as well. Buy. But they've got a buy. Um, yeah, with a buy coming too. Yeah, I love. I I I'm with you on that. Love Kansas State in that one. I'd probably go um, under too. Whatever the total. Let me is. see what the total is real quick. Yeah, regardless of the total, it's 45. <laughs> so I mean, still. Um, especially after the Thursday night football game we just watched, the under has been on my mind as the Colts and the Broncos both failed to score a touchdown and some better uh, was able to grab $10,000 from it. Um, two teams we didn't hit on that are going to play a Thursday game, they're both on by, are Baylor and West Virginia. That's a line that I am super intrigued to see because it's going to be a Thursday night game in Morgantown and – it kind of wouldn't shock me, even though Baylor is a better team, in my opinion, if West Virginia opened up his favorites. Yeah, I th- – yeah. Um, that's next week, right? So we're not picking this one? So we're not picking this one, but if you want to give thoughts, because because it's a Thursday night game, we're not going to have an episode of Talking Texas to, like, actually pick it. But if yeah. you just want to give a thought. I do think I, I I've said a couple of times I'm not sold on on Baylor. I do think they're better than West Virginia, um, yeah. but Morgantown on a Thursday night is something. You know, I yeah, I mean it would. You're right. I don't think it would surprise me if that game was a two two and a half. You know, yeah. something like that for for West Virginia. Um. While we both agree that Texas should cover the eight and a half is what I'm seeing right now, um, eight and a half to nine and a half. If um, Dylan Gabriel is out, I am curious what you think about the total. It's 65 and a half. I feel like most betters are always going to be on Red River shootout overs just because traditionally this game is up and down. I, I'm confident in the Texas offense scoring, but 65 and a half is an interesting number considering the range of outcomes that the uh, Levy-led Oklahoma offense could put up. Yeah, I think I would um, – yeah, I think I'd take the under. I mean, I, what do I have them at, 38-20? So that puts them at 58. Uh, and you said six, 65 and a half is the total? Yep, and I didn't mean to do this, but I my prediction of forty-one to twenty-four is legitimately right on the uh, line. So, yeah, accidental there, not trying to sit on a fence. But Mike, if you have anything else, I think that'll probably do it. Uh, just a quick cashed another specific thing. Did a little oh stuff. yes, you did. Did a little stars preseason tweeting. The other night, and uh, as we predicted in the specific things draft, people thought I was tweeting about a recruitment. So, uh, in reality, I was just uh, tweeting about the fact that the uh, Stars scored a goal and, uh, and with some beautiful offensive movement and a great zone entry. So, um, we'll, we'll put that one down as another win for your boy. Now, as you predicted preseason, I did game it a little bit. 
I did know I had an opportunity. Um, now I was tweeting about the game as I often do. Uh, but I knew if I just posted a GIF, it would uh, probably gain a little bit. So a little gamesmanship yeah. on my part. But, you know, heading into year two of the specific things draft uh, next season, I think that we're probably both going to up the ante on bits considering the early success of the uh, segment uh, uh, this season. So Mike cashed a specific thing. Unless Texas offers a 2024 quarterback in the next 48 hours, I'm going to lose one of my mid-round picks because I thought that they would have identified and offered a 24 quarterback by now. They still haven't, Um, which when I mention the Julian Lewis recruitment, who is a 26 quarterback, uh, a freshman in high school out of Carrollton, Georgia, the obvious, um, the obvious feedback I get from a lot of fans is like, Hey Hudson, appreciate your work. I can barely focus on 23s and 24s. I can't pay attention to a 26 right now. Extremely fair. At the same time, Julian Lewis, as a freshman in high school, is clearly the biggest priority right now on the Texas quarterback board. Like, yeah, Mike, how wild is that? That we have no idea what they're going to do in 24 or 25, but the next clear option has not even finished his first semester of high school. Yeah, it certainly is odd um, and, to be talking and, about that. And to be clear, he's balling out at Carrollton, one of the biggest 7A programs in the state of Georgia. So it's not like this is an all-potential kid. He, uh, Steve Sarkeesian said that um, at camp, he told Julian that he was the mentally, uh, the farthest ahead mentally that he's ever ha- uh, evaluated a quarterback, which is pretty high praise. And so uh, giving that early offer, but again, missing out on that specific thing, which I guess is almost a little bit bittersweet considering uh, the Julian Lewis recruitment. So. Yeah. Okay. I think we're, uh, I think we're done. Any last words for Texas fans attending the game? Um, have a corn dog for me. Oh. With some with some Bijan mustard. <laughs> Definitely get the corny dogs. Add the Bijan mustard sin, even though uh, not a great name in my opinion. Uh, I get it because it's like Dijon. Bichon. Yeah, but I, I I think more the mustard sin. Yeah, I think Stop. if it was Bijan's mustard son, that would be a little bit. But but again, you know who am I uh, to <laughs> to mess with the NIL marketing execs? Um, main thing for me for everybody hydrate. Like if this is your first time attending the Red River Shootout, make sure that you have whatever Pedialyte equivalent you want to use, um, and just have a ton of water in your system because while this is going to be the best weather at a Red River Shootout in a while, still make sure to hydrate. Um, For Mike Roach, I'm Hudson Standish. Check out The Road to Texas on Amazon. Um, Support Mike, and I hope that everybody has a great game week.